Hi, I'm Brock Lurie, and this is the Brock Lurie Podcast. With me, my good friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. All right. I, it struck me, you know, we live in a, in a funny time, right? Um, Tom Wolfe called it the time of the great relearning, right? This is uh, uh, the, the relearning meaning that uh, in the 60s, we, we suddenly had to uh, explain yet again why we have to shower, <laughs> we, right? Yet again, why... Uh, free love is not such a great idea, right? Um, a whole bunch of things, why, why patriotism is good and so on. And, and then it kind of settled down in the late 70s and then through the 80s, and you know, there was some common sense sort of started prevailing again. But here we are in the mid-20-teens now, right? And I, I feel that we are indeed going through the great relearning, or if you like, and this is kind of the metaphor that I want to refer to, and because I, I saw this metaphor referenced in a great Wall Street Journal article about Iraq. And that article in turn was referring to the, the war in Vietnam and how the South Vietnamese were losing to the North Vietnamese with or without the Americans' help. And the, the news reports were always touting great victories. But the, this one journalist started noticing, and he said so, that the, the victories were getting closer and closer to Saigon. Which, for those who don't know or remember, is the capital of South Vietnam. Right, right. And if, if Saigon fell, the one, one city that, that fell, that, mean, that meant the whole, the whole country would collapse. Okay? Saigon was the nerve center of South Vietnam. Now, now it's all, all Vietnam, of course. And that, that was, it was such a, an astute point. You know, yes, you can see see it like a graph if you want, where it's slowly descending. But if you look at things narrowly, then you can see a slight blip going up. Also, like the stock market, right? Uh, you know, um, so ABC Corporation is is plummeting in shares. It's it started off at 100 and now it's at 66, and then then it's going up to 68. Woohoo! Right, one day, and then it goes down to 64, 62, 52, and so on, and then it goes up to 53. Woohoo! Right, but if you only look at those small little blips up, you're not really seeing a good trend. And likewise, that's what was happening in Vietnam toward the end: is that the victories were getting closer and closer to Saigon. Now. And, and then they, they started making reference, of course, into how the victories were getting closer and closer to Baghdad and in the war in Iraq, right? So here we are, you know, slowly getting rid of ISIS or some other bad guys in, in towns that are closer and closer to Baghdad, which concerns us all. It should concern us all. But I'm not here to talk about Iraq. I'm here to talk about our nation as a whole. And how are we getting closer and closer to Saigon? our victory, so to speak. And, and here's, here's where I see it. Like we, we, you and I, on, on this podcast, and in so many other commentaries that I see, I, I find us explaining the most obvious things, things that we never had to explain before. What do I mean by that? I mean, for example, we never had to explain before why it's important to dress respectfully, right? Now, nowadays, you and I are talking about yoga pants on the one hand and, and you know, tattoos and, and whether you should go to a, you know, a certain function with, with only a T-shirt and such. And just the way we dress is a reflection of us. And we have to explain, listen, here is why you need to dress nicely. In the old days, it was understood. It was, it was, it was so obvious. 
in the same way that it's obvious that you need to brush your teeth, you need to shower, you need to wash your hair, right? You need to say please and thank you. But th this, is, this is one area, for example, where I find that we're losing this battle and the war is coming closer and closer to Saigon. Our little, little blips you know, that, that help win a particular war with a person about the way they dress um, it, it seems only like a little blip on its steady decline toward the bottom. That's, that concerns me. Here's another example. You know, we never had to explain capitalism before. We never, never had to say why socialism is bad or communism is bad. It was, it was understood. But here we are. You know, so many of our podcasts uh, deal with exactly that point. We, we have to explain capitalism good. Capitalism respects the individual. Capitalism brings out the best in, in products and services. Pro products bring us closer to God. I'm sorry, capitalism brings us closer to God. Socialism does exactly the opposite in every respect. It, it, makes, it causes us to descend. It causes us to, be, to have a sense of entitlement. It causes us to, uh, to not be creative. It, it ca causes us to, to have a handout culture. It causes us to not have children. There, but, but we have to explain this now. You understand? Simple things like this. We also have to explain why America is such a, a great uh, a nation. Really? I mean, I, I, this is too easy, right? Where, you know, you and I have before said in the past, if you really think that America is contemptible, then please just tell us one other country that you think is better, that really is, has advanced society as a whole. Not, not a country where nobody gets hurt or anything else like that. Because, you know, let's say Canada, for example. Canada, I like the country very much, but it doesn't really produce very much in the way of inventions or otherwise. It simply, it reaps the benefits from what America produces. Okay? And if America weren't around, Canada, as we think of it, wouldn't be around either. So what other country would be better for you? Okay, this is, it's simple. Every, no other country offers the freedoms and opportunities that America does. And that's the reason why so many people come into America, are demanding to come into America, you know, desire wildly to come into America, will do anything to cross our border to be part of America. But, but we have to explain this. Uh, very frustrating. And if you think of other things like this, I, I'm, I'm happy for you to chime in, Ari. But here's another one that I can think of very easily. We have to explain why two men or two women aren't necessarily uh, the best choices to, to get married to each other. We have to, for the, for the first time in history, explain this. Where it was so, it was so understood before that, that uh, you know, of course, a man and a woman should be the ones to marry. That's, that's the way it works, and that's the, thing, the only thing that makes sense. That's the core of our civilization. But because civilization is constantly being undermined, people have no problem thinking in, in absurd terms that two men can marry, that two women can marry. I, I, you know, I don't care if it offends you necessarily. It's just you have to acknowledge at the very least that this is a very novel, radical departure from what once was. And don't, please don't give me the, the analogy of slavery because there's, there's no comparison to slavery. And, and the, the easiest reason why it's, it's not comparable at all is, well, two, two reasons. One is that there were people advocating for the end of slavery for hundreds of years prior to its actual end. 
And uh, there is no difference between two men other than their skin color, but in terms of the, their outlook in life and everything else, or two women, or black and white. It's just, it, there's no difference. And that's a Dennis Prager point, and I think it's a very good point. But whereas there's, there's a huge difference between a man on the one hand and, and woman in, and on the other hand. And anyway, so we have to explain this for the first time in history. Uh, we also have to explain now, as it turns out, uh, why, um, why a man shouldn't go into a woman's bathroom. This is the most absurd one, or, or locker room. I, do I really have to explain this to you? This is something we talked about two podcasts ago. It's so easily demonstrated how dangerous this is and how, what the consequences will be if you suddenly open the floodgates to this. Can, you know, will you see an increase in rapes and molestations? Yes, no, or I don't think it'll change anything. It's one of those three answers, right? So the answer is, to, to us, yes, of course it's going to be. How about, if not those things, how about an increase in leering? I mean, again, we have to explain everything. We are in a battle constantly where, you know, we're, we're explaining the most basic things. Student and teachers, why, why it's important to be able to, to let the teacher have some discipline in a classroom. Uh, why it's important to talk to adults as Mr. and Mrs., you know, if, if you have a child. These, these are basics, right? But what other questions, I, I guess, is this is ultimately my question, what other questions in the future, I'm sorry, what other topics will we suddenly have to feel compelled to explain to the outside world? You know, I, I mean, we talked about pedophilia. Like, here's why, and they won't even call it pedophilia. They'll simply call it man you know, man-child love or something like that, yeah. Um, and, and we'll say, I think it's a bad idea. Let me explain why children should not be engaged in sexual activity uh, below the age of whatever. And uh, I think it's totally inappropriate, and here's why. And, and you'll have to explain, and they'll be shaking their heads, and they'll call you some sort of phobe, whatever that, the, the, the new term du jour will be, and you'll be out of touch with reality, and why can't you get on the progressive train? But that will be an explanation in the future. And I just, I don't know, Ari. What, what else will we need to explain? You know, certainly why, why incest is not a good thing. And then they'll, expl they'll throw it back in our face and they'll say, well, incest is not a, not a bad thing. Yeah, it to makes it so much easier for people to find, to meet someone they love. That's right. They, they know each other intimately, obviously. And what, what's the harm? And... and they will correctly point out with that biologically, uh, you know, the, the incidence of having deformities in a child, assuming that they even have children, um, is not not very high at all. I mean, you, you would have to have five generations of that happening before you have any serious risk of a deformity. Um, and uh, and putting that aside, if they if they don't desire to have a child, then what's the big problem, right? I mean, who who are they hurting? Right, and, and two points that I see that, that totally illustrate your point is the celebrated victory of the Prop 8 win in California all those years ago. Mm. Don't bring up whether it was overturned by the Supreme Court, that's not the point. The point is that's an exact example of what you're talking about, that the battles 
and victories get closer to the capital rather than taking yeah. their territory. We're winning a t uh, in our own territory. And, right. And something that was totally obvious. Okay, yeah, it passed. California affirmed marriage means one man, one woman. Great. Okay, wonderful. But did it really have to come to this? Yeah, that, that's a great example. And then where is this going? Obviously, you know, I've, I've predicted for, you know, from a couple weeks ago to a couple years ago that the normalization of pedophilia is right around the corner. Just imagine this. Try this one on for size, uh, our dear listeners. Imagine the normalization of taking hard drugs in public is right around the corner. Not just confined to a element of society like in Switzerland, like a specific needle park or something. And I'm not talking about smoking a joint or something. I mean, imagine some drug addict scumbag shooting up heroin while sitting in the front row of Dodger Stadium on national TV during a ball game. Yeah. Yeah, what, 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 who are we to tell him not to, uh, you know, experience a thing that gives him joy? Right. What yeah, and he's not harming anybody. He's, you know, maybe he's harming himself and his own brain cells and such, but he's not harming you. Yeah, pursuit of happiness, baby, right? Right. And, and we'll, we'll have to explain this. Right, and forget what it looks like to, forget children. It's scary to adults to see that. And then we have to explain to children why this man looks like a vagabond bum, and, but it has a blissed out countenance on his face and looks as serene as all get-go, like mm -hmm. just did the best yoga class ever. And then we have to explain to our children, no, no, what he's doing is actually quite unhealthy. Yeah. And then the teachers in the schools undermine us and say, you know, parents are encouraging their kids not to shoot up heroin, but look how happy, you know, Jonesy is over there. Yeah, well, right now a listener, a liberal listener to what you just said will say, that's absurd. And, and, and they, they, that's the amazing thing is they've said this before. They said... Gay marriage was absurd 10 years ago. Oh, well, that's one thing. But then they'll say, isn't it glorious now that the gay marriage is there? But, but when we confronted them with the consequences of gay marriage, in other words, the what's next question, we said, you and I on this podcast, what's next? Among other things, we said incest, right? Uh, polygamy, of course. And we said, what about transgenders? Just anyone can go to anybody, any, anybody else's um, uh, bathroom based upon how they feel. And here we are, much faster as always, as as we predict than we predicted. Always, and that's what scares me. I, I'm I'm terrified of even thinking about predictions because as soon as they come into my mind, and I do the logic game of okay, how many years will this take, and then I know that it's like the carbon fourteen dating method, right? You you have the time or whatever it is. That's that's what it is, or the reverse of the contractor rule. You you double the time estimate and double the cost that they that they give you uh, as an estimate. And in our things, the prediction is whatever prediction we make, it's usually about half the time, or, or even faster. We are literally the Federal Express, absolutely positively be there overnight delivery yeah. of predictions. Ugh. We are, and it's just ironically like Ghostbusters. It's like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man is the is the form of the destroyer. Because Dan Aykroyd's, uh, you know, character thought it, boom, there it yeah, is. Oh, that's very funny. You know, but, but it, and it sounds funny, but no. Whatever is in our minds that we imagine is the consequence, becomes the consequence, and it only verifies one thing. That it wasn't a consequence. It was part of the overall plan because the consequence invariably always fits the the critical theory model of greater unworkability and destruction to society. If everything right. they do destroys society further, 
you absolutely have to conclude after a while they must be working to undermine and destroy society. Well, exactly right. And I said, and, and once you, okay, I was speaking to a conservative couple exactly on this point. And I said, if you can have one theme as to all the changes that the progressives are pushing, there's one theme. And they, so they, they seem confused. And I said, there is a theme, and that theme is destruction or the evisceration of distinctions in particular. That's what they're going for. They want to eviscerate all distinctions. There is not one distinction that they, that they are champions of. Ask a liberal, what's, what's the distinction that you feel is absolutely necessary to maintain from a social point of view? Not, not the, se- the, the separation of, of um, you know, decent people and indecent people, because that gives you no context, right? I'm talking about parent and child, teacher and student, you know, male and female, good and evil, um, you know, American border versus non-American border, right? Uh, there's, there's many, many that we can go through, right? But I want that distinction. And this is something that I brought up. And, and it's, if you understand that's the theme, then the predictions come easily. That's right. And there's only one, only one, those people you're speaking of want to keep. Only one. And what is they that? want to keep the distinction between conservative and everyone else. Oh, that's fair. Yes, that's true. They because want, they want you, that box of the conservative, you know, the... Yeah, uh, that, that, that they're very good about that, distinguishing. That Dennis Prager six types of conservative yes. attributes that are negative, yeah. homophobic, Islamophobic, gayphobic, uh, you know, racist, sexist, whatever, that hex six right. yeah. number. That's, which is a cloud description of conservatism for those who hate conservatives. Yeah. That's the only distinction they want to keep in society. That little box that we belong in and then everyone else who's good and pure as the wind-driven stuff. Right, because yeah, that's so true. And they, and because that, that's the distinction that allows them to feel good about themselves, yeah. right? And it allows them to have the, all the they, they need to feel superior that they need for every for all the failure and destruction every one of their ideas and plans create because they have that little cloud of conservatives to blame right. for their for, or to to give reason for their scapegoat. endless plans to scapegoat yeah. then they that's, can get away with that's, everything that's right that's the distinction thing so look these are these are the battles that we need to fight and every battle that's coming it's coming down the pike you think of any distinction that you think is so obvious, and you will see yourself explaining why that distinction is so important. Uh, here's why um, we shouldn't be, I don't know, we shouldn't be grabbing women from the street and raping them, okay? Here's why we shouldn't be having, um, you know, sex with animals. I mean, I, I don't, I, it just anything goes at this point. It's so absurd. I, I think that the moment... I, I thought it was a little bit odd with the whole gay marriage business, right? And, you know, you, you can think intellectually, okay, what does it matter to me, you know, and so on like that. But it, it's, it was so different. It was a radical departure from Western civilization's norms. And you can say, well, it was anti-homophobic. Uh, it, it was homophobic from the get-go. It was in the, in the mother's milk, so to speak. And now, finally, we're opening up this door. I get that. But when it comes to... Um, uh, when it comes to this, that's transgenders in the bathroom, that to me, I thought that is so nuts, that is so crazy, that I, I really feel we have we have turned a corner, that has led us to crazy land. 
This is crazy. And if you're, suppo- if you're supportive of this, that, that a man should be able to go into a woman's locker room or bathroom because he feels like a woman for the moment, then, then maybe you are not only crazy, but so disinterested in understanding what makes civilization work. Because then you clearly have not understood what, why we even have a civilization. Okay? So, anyway. And, and a lot of the stuff is almost like a Stephen Hawking or Albert Einstein theorem. They, they talk about, imagine you're in a spaceship and you're approaching a black hole. And as long as you're not caught in its gravity, fine. You right, it's called the, event, it. the event horizon. The event horizon. Mm-hmm. Well, once you're caught in its gravity and you are lurching toward that event horizon, the acceleration becomes unstoppable. There is no exit. Yeah. You are stuck getting crushed eventually. And the, fa- the closer you move to the singularity, to the point of center of mass of that black hole, the faster you go. Yeah. And that's what's just happened with this transgender thing. We've passed a barrier, an important stop sign, a, yeah. a, a filter you on know, normalcy. Ari, Ari that, that, that analogy may have been the, your best analogy I've ever heard from anyone. Not just from you, but from anyone. It is exactly right. It is a, the event horizon where you just pass that slight blip and you're sucked in. And, and it's virtually impossible, if not truly impossible, to get out. The transgender thing, I think that is the moment. That is the reflection that we've been in, that we've already passed the event horizon. The, the gay marriage thing, you could say we were right on the lip of it. Right on the lip. And we started going closer to the event horizon, maybe in the event horizon, when we insisted that pizza delivery, photographers, Flowers, florists, bakers. and cake and bakers, that they all had to do this uh, lest they be, be penalized from a civil point of view. Um, and, and identified that the next targets, which will be happening, clergy. Almost, will be organized religious institutions who are going to lose their tax-exempt status if they refuse to right. perform a gay marriage. Right. That, you know, that, that we're past that. We really are. Yeah. Those people are already getting sued now. Yeah, it's uh, the clergy are yeah. getting sued. All right. I, well, know, I know lawsuits have already been filed. And right, and then the clergy will, will do their own self-censorship and their, their, their own self-regulation in anticipation of all this. Most likely by refusing all marriages. Or, or, or by or, saying, you or know, well, or, or doing them all and just saying, yes. well, you know what, we got to deal with it. We got to deal with things that we don't believe in because uh, what's the greater good, they'll say, you know, either, you know, it, it, either we say our message uh, with this thing that we don't like doing or we don't have any message at all. Yeah. And it becomes and like so, the Soviet church. It exists with the blessing of the state or not at all. Yeah, that's right. You do it our way. It's um, uh, this is a very a big cause for concern. So that was taking over over uh, taking us over the event horizon. Uh, but the transgender thing made it very clear that we are in the event horizon right now, and I just don't know how quickly it's going to descend. Uh, I, I I so fear for this country, and everyone looks around and they say well, everything seems normal, right? You you know, as we look out in the street now, people are not hacking each other to death. They're not engaged in mass rapes. They're not uh, engaged in mass pedophilia. Uh, you, you know, your kids can still play outside of their yard and maybe go meet the neighborhood kids and play a game of, a, a, you know, a game of um, stickball or video games for that matter. Uh, yes and no. There's a, there's a big difference going on here. There's a, 
a normalization of things that should, should not be normal. I mean, it's one thing that they happen. Okay, if, you, if you're a, a man that feels like a woman, we understand that such people exist. But there's a difference between tolerating them, appreciating them for their individuality and the, the torment that they must be going through on the one hand, and then normalizing that as something that must be imposed upon the rest of us on the other. It's a big difference, right? Same thing will be true with uh, pedophilia. Pedophilia is, good for today, still a criminal act, and thankfully it is a, a, you know, a demonic criminal act and still recognized as such. But the, a day will come well, where people will start questioning that. Yes, in your world, it might be demonic, but in our world, in our culture, it's a, it's a sign of love. You know, the, the same way we talk about one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they'll say, hey, you know, what you consider is evil upon this, this child, we consider it liberating to the child. You know, we're, we're showing love to this child. We're showing all the blessings of it. We're unleashing their sexual power. Yeah, why, why do you get to enjoy all uh, the, the benefits of sex? Whereas we, we know, and studies show, of course, studies are always showing this, studies show that, that children have erections and, and, and girls have, um, you know, they have... Uh, climaxes. Or climaxes, orgasms. orgasms, and they, they you know, they self-gratify, shall yeah. we say. University studies show. Yeah, you know, exactly, of course. And it, it happens as a, at, at as young of an age as X. And why are we preventing that? It, 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 it's repressive, sir. That's what they'll say. And it'll be encouraged by people that are truly demonic because they don't want to be perceived as demonic anymore. They'll say, look, I, I'm not hurting anyone. I'm not doing anything against anybody's will. Uh, I just want to show love. And maybe get a little, little love in return. This is where my, my affections uh, go toward. Who are you, and, and they seem to be okay with it. Who are you to tell me otherwise? That's the logic that they'll use. Because no one, as the famous line in The Talented Mr. Ripley, I always liked it, played by, I think, Matt Damon. He, he makes a comment. He says, nobody ever thinks of themselves as evil. Nobody, nobody, nobody ever wakes up in the, in the morning and say, how can I commit more evil today? What more bad stuff can I do? They all think that they're wonderful. And, and they're just proceeding apace with what they feel that uh, they need to be doing and what they love to be doing. And so they, they, they seek uh, respect. They seek validation for the horrible conduct that they do. They, they don't want to be deemed demonic. Yes, you, you call me demonic for, you know, a pedophile will, will say this. You, you call me demonic for loving children. Well, by golly, I'm not demonic, and let me explain why. And then there'll be a national discussion about it. And then Bruce Springsteen will refuse to go play in a concert in North Carolina or Virginia or Alabama because that dreaded state has banned pedophilia still and made a legislative act that made it very clear that it would not tolerate such crap. Right, they just won't progress. They will yes. not progress. Yes. And thus, I will stand against their lack of progression. Right. Can I make a point? Yeah. Because I have a slight disagreement with you. You say you were walking around in our fair society and things look normal. I they look normal. I'm not saying that they are. I took a walk yesterday and I saw that things are not normal. 
Explain. I was, I was walking in uh, Santa Monica on the beach near the Santa Monica Pier on a weekend. Uh, you know, viewing the great melting pot of the California coast, so to speak. I saw very few of what I would call normal people. And some of this might sound a little harsh or politically incorrect, but so be it. Uh, when I saw families, they were speaking Spanish. And a lot of people speak Spanish, but a lot of them looked like they were probably illegal aliens. I saw a lot a lot of Muslims, a lot of women in hijabs at the beach. I saw a lot of other kind of, uh, you know, hippy-dippy kind of people, as you'd see in that area. And then when I saw what looked like uh, normal middle-class families of different stripes, and I know this isn't a middle-class family kind of hangout, it's, if you will, a little bit, you know, gotten to be sort of a lower class place I couldn't tell you how many people had young children and the man and the wife are covered from head to toe with tattoos and piercings Mm. and what it looked to me like was it struck me as it was just so tribal so primitive whatever happened to this essentially normal place and whatever happened to all the normal looking people the normal Americans here, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a few people in hijabs, a few people speaking Spanish, a few people with occasional tattoos and piercings, an occasional you know hippie near the Venice Santa Monica Beach border, but all of them have gone off the cliff into one of these, uh, shall we say, um, segmented tribal, if you will, subcultures. Well, no one yeah. is enjoying the overlap of normal Americanism. Well, what what's missing from the picture that you're described is are just kind of regular Joes. That's what I mean. Yeah, the, the regular American uh, people who just who speak, don't have piercings and yeah, tattoos. Well, don't have that. Who do speak English and uh, who have kids who just want to live in a normal life, a normal family. Um, look, I, I see what you're saying. It is true. I've seen that a lot more in the Santa Monica Pier area, where it used to be, you know, just a very fun place where, and there was a lot of diversity. Don't get me wrong. It's not. I'm, I'm, this, this is not code, my friends, for for that that's mostly white because that's what a lot of liberal listeners will want to hear, right? They they want to believe that that's what we're saying. No, we are not saying that. We don't care what color. We do care what they believe and what their cultures are. That's the difference. Okay, now, but but when we have this culture where, you know, we're kind of worried to even go out, um, then we have a problem, uh, especially in places that are supposed to be, you know, easy-peasy places to go to, like, like the Santa Monica Pier. Now, having said that, somebody will listen and say, well, you know, how many crimes are happening in the Santa Monica Pier, Mr. Lurie and Mr. David? A lot. It, well, that's, that's what I was going to get to. Uh, where are your studies and all that stuff? And, and it turns out there, there are a lot of problems on the Santa Monica Pier. Uh, there are a lot of problems throughout L.A. And to some extent, you know, walking around L.A., driving around L.A., you just wonder, you know, when am I going to, you know, hit the minefield? You know, what, what point will I kind of drive the wrong path down the wrong way and then suddenly find myself surrounded by some really bad guys, whoever they may be? And all of a sudden, I'm being yanked out of a car and beaten up, or God forbid, something even worse. You know, my wife, you know, gets uh, attacked, or my children get attacked. I, I just, which is far more of a, a concern for me, and I think for most fathers than anything else. But this is the, the the world that we do live in, and I wonder, 
you know, what, at what point do we, do we say enough? I mean, is, is it, or is it like the frog in the skillet, right? That, that famous metaphor, whether it's true or not, I don't know, but the metaphor is, is very apt, which is that the frog, you know, will stay in the skillet for a long, long time, so long as you just turn up the heat slowly over time, and it or just gets hotter and hotter. cold water and put it over a high heat yeah. rather than trying to throw it in boiling water. Yeah. The, the point is, it the doesn't notice the small incremental change. We, yeah. we will, if you were to say, you know, how has America changed just from 2000, just we're talking 16 years now, that the leap is huge, but, but you wouldn't know it. If, however, you went from the year 2000 to the year 2016, you would say, wow, what the frig has happened? That's right. And the, the way I, the, what I'm basically saying here, and I'm not making a comment on ethnicity or diversity, you know, uh, uh, yeah, that stuff. I'm just saying the buffer is gone. Yeah. The buffer being normal people of any color. There aren't normal families there that don't look like they have gang tattoos. There aren't normal families who might be Hispanic who speak English. There aren't normal families who are... Well, you're saying, you're, you're saying in a, in a sense that there's, there are few people with whom you can actually identify with. Yes. I, I, you know, look, uh, Spanish-speaking people, fine. But I, I can't even... When I see them in the elevator and they don't speak English and I don't speak Spanish... You know, there's no common connection. We don't have a common lingo. You can't to even speak. say, "Hey, what's up?" Yeah, that's you right. Know, Can you awesome. did you did you like that uh, Ferris wheel ride or whatever? And uh, likewise with tattoos. I don't I, I don't understand the tattoo culture. I just don't. And we're not talking about one guy who was in the navy who had an eight. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking sleeves, tattoos on the face, weird stuff. Right. Other people's children are looking at this guy going. That's a bit scary. It's scary, and it's suggestive of gang culture as well. Right. So you you would you would naturally pull your kids away from some of these people, and you know you can be as PC as you like, but it, it just the truth is you would pull their kids away. And anyway, let's not get too yeah, much on that. Point. The reason I brought that up is if we're talking about is have we crossed the event horizon, considering the buffer of society that. Well, the the, the event horizon, key. another event horizon uh, crossing point is uh, how we treat crime. And how we dole out justice. That is a very big deal. Because what's happening now is that justice is becoming far more unpredictable over time. Somebody uh, will not be convicted of a rape crime. Um, much more so, by the way, in Europe than it is here in, in America, thank God. But at, at some point, there will be a point where people will start saying, well, you know, what is rape anyway? And you know, uh, you'll be okay. You know, they'll treat it more like, yes, physical violence, but not, they won't differentiate rape from being punched, for example. Because after all, there's no distinction between men and women, right? That, that's the logic. That, that, that will be a day that we come to and where we say, um, where we have to explain yet again, here's why we want to criminalize rape. Okay, now we, we may still have a basis for that because half the population is women, and and they don't want to be victims of rape. Get, I got it, okay. But it's surprising how many people, even women, as we see it right now in the transgender movement, they, they don't realize how much they will be affected. You would you would think that the that at least half the population at least would be clamoring against this transgender madness, that the right to be in in a in a woman's bathroom and a woman's locker room. You would think that, but they don't. So if they can't fight for that, if they can't see the obvious in that the dangers of that, how will they fight against 
you know, the, the prison terms of, of a rape. I mean, how will they do being that? Being eliminated. Be, being eliminated, right. They'll just treat it like a physical violence thing. I'm not saying they will be totally decriminalized. But I, I, I am saying, however, that they may very well at one point say, you know what, uh, different cultures have different ways of handling women. Our prison um, population is too large. We have to reduce it. By well, that too. That too. That so too. But, but, lighter on this. but, yeah, but, but, you know, it's just rape. It's not murder. You know, murder will, will, will certainly always be uh, very uh, heavily criminalized. Don't you worry about that, sir. But, uh, and, and, and it'll be treated like aggravated assault, absolutely. But, uh, you know, the truth is that one man's rape is another man's, you know, culture. That's what it's going to be. Because it happens in South Africa. It happens in Sweden now. It happens all over the Middle East. Rape, rape, rape. What we consider rape is to them just a process. You know, it's, it's I mean, the, the classic story of that Afghani um, uh, leader that, that was raping this little boy and keeping him in chains. And the American soldier who came and, and you know, did something, did something to, it. yeah, gets you know, for gets punished for doing it. it. Why? Because it's a, it was a cultural difference at the end of the day. We need to kind of understand these people somehow. And, and don't tell me that all cultures are the same. Some are worse than others. And those guys are worse than us. And, you know, but, but because of the PC mentality, they'll try to equivocate and they'll say, well, it's a cultural thing. And who are we to misunderstand him? And we're so sorry for misunderstanding you. And this is not the first time that's happening, by the way. It's, it's, it's not as if it's something, some far future event that's about to happen, that we will start seeing people being dismissive of uh, rape victims. They're already dismissive already, all over Sweden. If you, if you happen to be raped by a, um, a Muslim person or a dark-skinned uh, person, somebody who's not obviously Swedish, let's say. An African or a Middle Eastern. Or North, an yeah, immigrant. Middle Eastern. Yes, an immigrant. The chances of you actually getting a conviction of this person is very small. And in South Africa, where apparently the rape, uh, the rape numbers are just astronomical, they just, it just happens all the time. And they, they get to a point where... It's like, okay, if you're a woman, well, you shouldn't be out at all. You should be surrounded by men who, who love you, of course, who will protect you. Uh, but if you're alone, you're like, a, you're like a lone sheep, a sickly sheep that's weaker than the rest of the flock. And now the wolves are there to pounce on you. That's the, that's the culture. Yeah, in some of these funny. places. Is it funny what you just said? If you're a woman alone, go out with a man. Doesn't that sound like Sharia to you? Oh yeah, yeah it does. It does sound like that, but but they'll have the but <laughs> no, it, it doesn't actually. I see what you're saying. No, they're requiring it because they want not to protect the woman, but to to keep the woman down to make sure that the woman does not have freedom, and that that a man will control her. That's the only reason why they do that, because if if it were to be equi equivalent to what you just said, it would be like have three guys surrounding this girl to protect her. That's not what they say. Oh, no, I, I know in Sharia it's, it's to do the what you just said, but I'm saying here's a society that's not a Sharia-compliant society, the South African society. Isn't it funny that they're defaulting to Sharia behaviors yeah. Yeah, out yeah, of no, necessity? It's yeah, it's, uh, it's a very bizarre world. And, and they have to get married for protection, not necessarily for growth. It's, it's, uh, this is... Uh, we have to ask all these questions all the time. It's, 
you know, as the world ascends into a world where there are, you know, any partner can get married, any, and all love of all kinds is all good, uh, and, and then eventually the transgender thing, which is so symbolic of everything that we're talking about, how it's all falling apart, and then people wonder, you know, why do I feel less safe? Why do I feel like I can't grow in my world? And why, what's happening to my culture? Who are we? When you ask all these questions, the reason why you're asking these questions is because you've, you've eviscerated all the distinctions that are so important and which make up civilization in the first place. And that, my friend, is what we need to fear and what we need to fight against. Are we over the event horizon or, or can we pull ourselves out of it? And if we do pull our, ourselves out of it by way of arguing the good fight and explaining why... Uh, we need these these distinctions. Will those battles be battles that just are victories closer and closer to Saigon? I don't know. All right, don't go away. We'll be right back. Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a case where your client invested $100,000 with her accountant who put her into various fake real estate investments. Yes, the challenge here was that neither the attorney nor the client were really focusing on this case. So what would you do? At the deposition, I had a big stack of documents that I told her I was going to ask her to testify about. I made sure she saw those documents and let her know her serious exposure. We settled for the full amount of the payments my client had paid her. We didn't even start the deposition. Litigation is a lot about understanding the psychology of your opposing party and sometimes the opposing counsel. I'll say another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. So, one of the, um, the a lot of things that are happening now in, in the world of science and and so on. And what, one of the things that I love hearing from my atheist friends and such is that they are comfortable with not knowing the answers to everything, as if somehow to suggest that we, who believe in God, who know that there's a God, that we're not comfortable with not knowing everything. Okay, but of course the reality is completely different. They, they, they as if somehow we, we profess to know everything. <laughs> like the reason why uh, science works the way it is. Well, God made it so. The, the the reason why the sun is out there, God made it so, and we're just intellectually lazy. You understand? Okay. And you know, I did a I did a video with you, Ari, a couple of weeks ago where. I talked about the value of saying the phrase, I don't know, right? If a client comes to me and says, hey, uh, Mr. Lurie, tell me a little bit about aviation law and how it works in, you know, in juxtaposition with Nevada 
is there a difference between California and Nevada? And I would say, I don't know. In fact, I have no idea, sir, about aviation law whatsoever, let alone aviation law, as it might be juxtaposed between California and Nevada or any other state. I, I have no idea. And people seem to be happy about that. I don't know that, but I, I think I might know somebody who does know something about that. That's okay. And the question is, I, you know, I'm very comfortable as a lawyer to say, I don't know. In fact, I think it's very important as a lawyer to be able to say, I don't know. And you don't have to be a lawyer to be comfortable with that. You could be an investment banker. You can be a dentist. I don't know the answer is a very good answer to some, so many of life's seemingly complicated questions. Okay? I don't know. And I'm comfortable with that. And now here comes the big question. Who is more comfortable with, um, with saying, I don't know? Those who are religious, who, who love God, who embrace God, or those who are non-religious, and for that matter, those who are atheists? I, I put it to you that it is we who are religious, the, we who believe in God deeply, that are far more comfortable not knowing what the answers are in science or otherwise. Now, how can you say that, Mr. Larry? Oh, come on, you guys believe that God is, is responsible for everything. Well, yes, that's true. We do think that God made the universe. We do think God is in charge. But we love science. We, we love figuring things out because our process is a little different than yours. We seek science and discovery of science for the purpose of discovering God, to getting ever closer to God. So when we discover through science, for example, that there's something called the, the genome, the genetic code and such like that, we're very excited about that because it, it reveals to us God's presence and the, the ever-increasing complexity. It only proves to us more and more that there is a God, and we're comfortable not knowing, and we want to explore. It is, it is we Christians, we Jews, that go out into space that want to do the, the, the most exploring possible. And yet, you know what, it's funny, Ari, that how those who are agnostic or atheist even, they'll want to point to us and say that we're afraid to, to explore, that, that they just, they, they've decided this. In the same way that that many liberals have decided that conservatives are greedy and racist, right? That, you know, that they've decided that for you. They've also decided that, that religious folks are, are not only yokels, but they're afraid of science, that they don't want to, don't teach me nothing about space. I'm already tired of it as it is. My head hurts. My head hurts. Thank you very much. You know, you, you, already, you already won the battle that the sun is the center of the solar system, and shouldn't you be happy about that, <laughs> Right. I think I sounded like a little bit like like Bill Clinton there, but yeah. you, you go with me on this. The point is that they get excited about uh, suggesting what we are and how backward we are, when in fact it's exactly the opposite. And, and isn't it funny that it's always people who are liberal who always say when a decision is made to explore something or spend money on something like the Hubble telescope or some deep space probe, they always say, should we spend that money because we have so many problems here on Earth? That's right. There you go. That's it. That, they're the. I mean, which which president was the one that basically scrapped NASA, right? Obama, a Democrat. 
It's not as if he's seeking any. It's the only program he ever cut. Right. And the funny thing is also that when it comes to climate change, that they're they're not interested in science. There's nothing scientific about the climate change ideology. Uh, they are the ones shutting down all discussion. The debate is over, they keep on telling the us. The science is settled. The science is settled. Yes. Really? How so? I, I'm so sorry. But, you know, uh, it turns out that, you know, all this depends on thermometers and, and such being planted around the earth in order to see the, the changes in the temperature. What if, I know this sounds crazy, what if the thermometers were not accurate? Maybe they were misplaced or maybe they were too close to to buildings where there was more heat generated as a result of that. Uh, or maybe they, the thermometers don't work, or maybe the scientists are imperfect, or maybe the scientists uh, want to uh, reach a certain conclusion because they know they will get grants for that. But you see, we have questions, and we want to know the answers to those questions. And we also know that science, by definition, we've talked about this before, never settles. Right, it, it never does. It, it's like the grinder. It never settles. <laughs> <laughs> All right, very funny. Um, he's referring to a TV show called "It Never Settles." All right. Um, the 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 funny thing is that you can you can't even pose a question to a, a a truly deep religious person regarding science that he will feel threatened by. Meaning, like, the, here's a scientific fact. You know, Barack or Ari, if I if if science were able to prove X. Wouldn't this totally undermine the way you, you think about the world? And wouldn't this undermine your, your belief in God and such like that? Wouldn't this destroy it, in fact? Well, I suppose somehow if they could prove the absolute non-existence of God, I, I suppose, but that's going to be impossible. But other than that, there's no scientific discovery that would, that would trouble me, right? I mean, the, the, the genetic code, um, our role in the universe, uh, the nature of gravity— the theory of relativity, you throw, you know, bring it on, baby. Nothing will threaten me. On the contrary, I, it will only underscore my belief and faith in God because of the complexity associated with yeah. it. And being an open and honest person, if there is some magical scientific discovery yeah. that we just, yeah. just stumble upon in the next 10 minutes that absolutely positively proves there's no God, let's just assume there is that one. Because we're men of truth, we go, okay, we were wrong, no God. Right. Okay, fine. Yeah, I, th I think that would somehow, uh, that, that would exactly be the case. Well, I guess you got us. Um, yeah, you know, glad, so yes. glad we kept looking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and now here we are. We, but, but it would never come to that, of course, because we know, we know and, and any reasonable scientist would say the same thing, we, we'll never know more than 4% of what the universe has to offer. In fact, we're, we're still well below the 4%, but we'll only know 4% ever. Of the universe, which of course, I mean, just like you wouldn't be able to predict whether some uh, candidate has won an election based upon four percent of the returns, right? You would say, "Oh, my, my candidate uh, John Smith, he's a winning. He's he's gonna totally slaughter this." And CNN hereby projects that John Smith will win uh, because we have three three point nine nine percent of the votes in. You'd say, uh, "Not so fast. Can we wait for the other ninety six percent, please?" A lot of things can change. Same thing with that. We, we just don't know, and we're comfortable with not knowing. But they, the, the, the liberals, but particularly the, the, the non-religious, they're not comfortable at all not knowing. They want, they want the answers, and they want it nicely packaged, and they will 
completely erase God out of the equation. The unknown is very uncomfortable for them. You see, God, at least the, the way God looks, right? I mean, that's, that's one of the wonderful things about Judaism, and I think uh, for many parts of Christianity, we say we don't know what God looks like. We don't know what God's uh, plan is. But we do know what God is not, for example, and we can figure out a lot of things about God, but we, we know that we don't have the whole picture. We don't know how God will has manifested himself to us, but we can see him through indirectly. That, that we do know. But so much about God is unknown. That's the beauty of it. But we know that there is a God. But for them, they're, they don't like that unknown part. When they have a scientific discovery, when they're trying to explain the universe, why things are the way they are, the last thing they want to talk about is God. It's right there in the room, right there in front of them, the big question mark. And they don't even say, you know, it's possible that a designer designed this. They won't, they, they, they cannot accept that as a possibility, i.e. they cannot accept that unknown possibility. So they have to fabricate this whole system where everything has happened randomly. They call it evolution. They call it uh, quantum mechanics in, in terms of uh, the, the, the creation of the universe and such. They, they race to the explanation of how things could have happened randomly. But God, no, no sir, no, no designer whatsoever. You see, and that, that's very similar to the climate change, now that I think about it, the climate change ideology. This, this refusal to accept the possibility that something else might be explaining what appears to be a, a warming trend. That something else has, that, that man-made uh, activities have little or nothing to do with it. They, they cannot accept that. They do not accept the possibility of the unknown. And that, that's, that's their problem, not ours. And that's what I call irony. Because all this time we have been slated with this, this, uh, this judgment call, this, uh, shall, I, shall I say, um, this libel that somehow we're yokels and we don't care to, to inform ourselves and that, that we can't stand the unknown when it, exactly the reverse is true. Exactly. It's, it's pure projection. But you see, they get to control so much of the media. They could get to control so much of what science is. And the reality is they're the ones who are afraid of the unknown. That's it. And they don't even know why. If you ask an atheist, why do you even bother exploring? Why? What does it matter to you? Science. Right? I, I mean, you, you might say, the atheist as well, I, we, we want to make life comfortable for all of us now, including myself, for right now. So in other words, make a better iPad, uh, make a better light bulb, uh, more cheap or whatever it is, okay? But that's all good and well, but, but what about the future? Why, why do you care, for example, to study uh, galaxies that are 300 billion, well, 300 million light years away? Why? Why would you care? How does that affect you in this lifetime ever? And yet you, you still seek it out. And a lot of these scientists are indeed atheists, not all of them, but, uh, but some portion of them are. Why? Why bother? Unless it's just a job, but I assume that you, you want it more than just as a job. Why? Right? 
And, I, and to me, it's, it's, I wonder if they even ask themselves the question, why am I even interested in science? Why am I curious to find out what's what? So that's their problem again, not ours. Don't you think we know why we seek science. We know. Because every exploration, every curiosity is, in fact, another step toward God. That's why we do it. And that's why the Catholic Church created the university. That's why science itself, as, a, as, a, uh, as an institution, was a, a, a religious observation. This is what we want to do. You know, you ask um, Attila the Hun and his cronies back in the day what, uh, what, you know, about science. You know, do you care to learn about things? He would look at you and give you a blank stare and say, what the frig do I care about? about the way the sun and such. That has no impact upon me. What I care about is will I have enough food on the table and will I have enough spoils of war? That's it. So uh, the, the quest for science is actually a religious quest. It, would you agree that from the observations people from our perspective make that you could almost make you the argument that they explore in order to make sure no one finds God or to cover it up in some oh, way or I another see. by creating a, a a web of methodologies and rules and institutional practices that make it so God can never be discovered. Oh, I like that. I, I, think, I think you're onto something there. I, I think it's the equivalent of going on to a, a crime scene, so to speak, and deciding, well, I'll I'll just uh, change, <laughs> I'll, I'll, you know, I'll get rid of this gun that would explain this murder spree that happened here. Uh, I'll get rid of that powder that shows that there was, in fact, a drug scene going on or whatever, a drug party. Or a right? terrorist attack happens and they come out and go, I don't see any connection to Islam. <laughs> exactly right. No, they'll cleanse the, the, the record. I think that's exactly what they do. I think it's a good analogy because um, when they, I mean, even, even Einstein did this. In the theory of relativity, uh, his own theory of relativity demanded that the universe um, had a beginning by definition. And he realized that, too. And when he realized it and realized also that it defied the, the static um, notion of the, the universe, as he had himself had always believed, he kind of changed the, the facts of his own theory. He created this universal constant. It's a it's a famous mistake of his, and he, and he regretted it on you know toward the end of his life. But that's a, a good example of how they cleanse the record. They cleanse the findings. Yeah, alter uh, the crime scene. Yeah, even now as we speak, and and uh, some liberal friends of mine were talking about how the, the, there's people in MIT desperately trying to, not desperately, but I, I think they're desperately, but they are very busy working on trying to explain a non-Big uh, Bang version of the universe, that it indeed is static. <laughs> like, okay, notwithstanding the fact that we now know that galaxies are running away from us, like, well, where, <laughs> where are they running from? And they're all running away in, you know, in, in outward, outward ways, which only demands that if you reverse time, it has to have started with a beginning. I mean, it's just so basic. They're running away from that non-creator who didn't create anything. And they're almost saying it's like an episode of The Simpsons. You know how you love to cite The Simpsons as, after the Bible, your tome of all you know obvious truths. That's right. And uh, it's like, uh, 
Well, we finally found that universe where nothing moves ever. Yeah. <laughs> totally right. static. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. They would love that, of course. And so they, they invent these things. I mean, like Stephen Hawking's, because he didn't like the probabilities that uh, the universe could have made itself randomly as he so desperately wants to believe for whatever reason. So what does he do? He decides, well, there are multiple universes, uh, you know, infinite number of universes, where the, therefore the odds of life happening in this universe uh, then become much more palatable and much more realistic, right? That, that it could have happened in, in one of these, you know, millions and billions of universes. Yeah, these multiverses. Yes, multiverses. Which are all like little cells. Right, never mind that he has no evidence to suggest that. It's all in his head. Yeah. Right. But but this is the way that, you know, to, to wipe the to change the crime scene, to taint the crime scene, as it were. And it's not, not a perfect analogy because the universe is not itself a crime scene. But if, if you are trying to figure out by deduction what happened here and you're ignoring the gun that explains why these two people are dead on the floor. Uh, well, then perhaps you're ignoring a big part of it. And you say, you know, you're, you're a cop, you're an investigator. Hey, chief, there seems to be a bullet hole <laughs> in uh, one of these people's head. Oh, how do you know? You, all you see is a hole, but how do you know there's a bullet in it? Good point, chief. <laughs> I guess I don't know. Well, well, good then. So don't say that you think there's a bullet in there unless you actually see a bullet in his head. But, chief, it seems reasonable to think that a hole that is not unlike a hole that a bullet would make and that a gun... It was lying on the floor. It would suggest that that gun created this bullet, which in t in, or, uh, propelled this bullet, which in turn made a hole in this person's head. Uh, I don't want you to make these assumptions here. Okay? That's what the chief might yeah. say. Yeah, and that's the equivalent of what science, scientists are doing today when they ignore a designer. It's t it's, it's, and it, yeah, beyond what I just talked to you about, where the odds of um, that bullet just kind of randomly inserting itself uh, into this person's head. Let's say he fell down on the bullet and the bullet was pointed upwards. And now next thing he knows, he has a bullet in his head, right? And somehow you otherwise explain the burn, you know, the, what, what do you call it? The, the uh, cornite. Yeah, the cornite. The burning cornite, yeah. The, somehow the, the, he got that in his head too, and, and, uh, but it wasn't done maliciously by anybody else. That is far more likely than the likelihood of the universe forming by itself. I mean, far more likely. But this is, this is, people don't want to look at that. And it's the, we're, we're coming to the whole point, which is the ability to say, I don't know. And if you are an atheist, if you are somebody who has deep trouble with the notion of a designer of the universe, that's okay. I understand that. But it means that you are not comfortable with not knowing something. You think that you're comfortable with it. You say you'll go wherever the science takes you, but you don't because the science is, is right there. The probabilities, the math is right there for you. There's no way you could say with a straight face that this happened randomly because the numbers are yelling at you that a designer made all this. No less than if you, you know, were walking on a beach and you saw a watch. Uh, and there is the swatch. You would never assume that somehow the, the waves and the sand and the wind kind of all conspire together somehow to, by chance, make this watch with all its glory and everything else and, and telling time perfectly for no, you know, no less. You would say that's absurd, and, and you would be right. But all the more so with the universe as it is. 
the, the chances are far more unlikely that the universe would create itself than that watch would, inv- would, would have been created by itself randomly. So you, you, you do have the facts, but you, you claim that you don't have the facts and that you're willing to learn it somehow, that you are ready to go where the science takes you and that you're comfortable with the I don't know phrase, and you're not. You're not comfortable with that at all. That's the key point. Because we uh, who, who have the faith, who, who do believe deeply in God, we're the ones who want to go where the science takes us, always, because we know what that journey will lead to. And we're okay not knowing. We have faith. And weren't you talking about this This goes into areas of, of yeah. society too? Yeah. Oh, business and, and uh, the economy, for example. Uh, that's great. I th- thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Look, I don't know what the future holds in terms of the way business is going to be done, uh, creative new ways of financing, for example, creative new inventions, and, and uh, new kinds of food and new kind of relationships with different countries and such. Frankly, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's a cornucopia of fun things that can be out there, as long as we let it you know, thrive. But the left doesn't like that. They're not comfortable with not knowing what that future will be. And so they, they set up all these limits. The minimum wage is such a great example of that. This is the way business shall be done, right? You are going to hire people at $15 an hour. Never mind that employers, of course, will work around that one way or the other, or they simply won't hire people at all. Uh, and, and for that matter, they're going to regulate your business because, you know, business can only be done one way, apparently. So, therefore, hotels uh, need to be regulated. This is where Airbnb needs to be regulated. Uh, Uber needs to be regulated. We're going to fit you into the box that we're comfortable with. That's the way they do business. We, on the other hand, say... Bring it on. Let's, let's, let's see what the world will, will portend. For example, I, I bet you, I bet you that the religious and the conservatives, which often go hand in hand, but, but those two groups had no sense of loss or dismay, for example, when the bookstores kind of went the way of the dodo and, and instead all went online. We simply said, oh, okay, well, I guess that's the inevitable way of business. Same thing with the music industry, same thing with the video rentals, for that matter. Um, Same thing with uh, all the new changes that are happening. The mortgage industry is completely changing now. Yeah, because we were greedy, we were more than happy to never pay a late charge on a lately returned DVD or videotaping. Right, right, exactly right. It's, uh, these these are basic things that we're comfortable with. I know that you are, I am. And it's, it's a left, they're, they're screaming to, to, like I said, to pigeonhole us, to box everything, to every industry has to look a certain way. And yes, you can participate in it, but he, and here's your license, here's your medallion, so to speak. <clears throat> and once you have it, then you've got the, the prize to go forward with it. You have the right to go forward with it. And we say, why? Why should it be that way? Let, let a thousand flowers bloom is what we say all the time. And we don't know what that future will look like. It's you on the left that are very uncomfortable with it. And think about it. When you, when you proclaim that you are comfortable with not knowing, because you're not, you're, you're terrified of not knowing. And you just made a great example for, as Prager would say, the macro. But now talk about it in the micro. 
your own business here at your law firm. Yeah. You don't know what client may walk in your door tomorrow. Isn't it cool not knowing? You know, Isn't that's there good... an incredible surprise, a rush, when, wow, this great new client materialized and I had no idea? It's, it's kind of like Christmas morning. Excuse me, Hanukkah morning. I don't know what's in <laughs> yeah, the box, you know, it's but a, it's, it's, it's going to be point. cool. It's a good point from a, from a longitudinal uh, point of view where I started my business in uh, early 2004 and... Uh, now it's 2016. I, I would, you know, if you were to ask me what the future is going to be, where are you going to be in the year 2016? I don't know. How many people will be working with you in that time? I don't know. A lot of it, I just didn't know. Will I be just working by myself? Will I have enough business? How will the economy be? I don't know. And here I am. Thankfully, we're very successful. Great stuff has happened with us. I, I think a lot of it stems from a lot of good choices, but a lot of it is some good luck. And <laughs> I mean, some of my clients are now my best friends, uh, really very close to them. And you've met them, Ari, a lot of them. And I would never have thought that. And it's a, such a great point. I don't know that the, the people that I'm going to be hiring, uh, I'm so grateful for them. They're, they're wonderful. But, you know, I posted something on Craigslist and I got these great people. Um, likewise with my attorneys that work for me. And, and just like you say, the clients, I have no idea. And, and I have no idea what the opposing party is going to do. In each of these cases, are they going to be reasonable or am I going to have a jerk for an opposing counsel that's going to make the case last for a long time? I don't know. All I do know is things will, will be interesting. I will have different clients in the future. I may, uh, and, and I'm also investing in real estate and I'm writing a book, as you know. Will it succeed? I don't know. I just do it. And, and, because, and I'm okay with that. Right. And because you don't know, it lets you have a passion in life. Yeah. Look how we've talked over and over again. Right now we're going to do this and in past episodes about how if the left has its way and, it, and uh, imposed static societal conditions in all areas upon us, it's a passionless existence. Right. Right. That's what... The, you know, yeah. some bad things may happen in the I don't know world, but... A lot of good that surprises us and makes us excited excited to go on tomorrow happens. Right. You know, I'll wrap it up by saying, you know, talking about my own family. Um, uh, you know, we have three kids. And when we had our first two kids, you know, there was a time where the older one was six, the younger one was three. And my wife said, I want to keep it just as it is right now. I want to freeze them to where they are right now. And... And just, you know, we would take them to school every day and, and we'd go to the same kindergarten class and they would never grow up. And we just enjoyed it so much. That's what she's, she said. And I remember thinking to myself, I love the unknown. I love their potential. I love how they're going to be a great man and a great lady in the, near, in, in the future. And I love not knowing what their careers are going to be, what their own children will look like, where they might live. I love not knowing it. I that that's, and my my wife is wonderful. She's great, and and I think she also appreciates it because every year, she changes her tune. When they became seven and four respectively, she then said, she wants to then, freeze then. "Let's freeze it now. <laughs> yeah. now." Now she wants to again freeze it. And, and my my older one is is almost eleven, and and my girl's eight, and she wants to freeze it here. I'd be happy with that too. But I know I'm just enjoying it every year all the more. And every year it just offers its different changes. And I love the not knowing. And, and that's where the adventure is. 
in the not knowing. May we never know everything. May we always explore and wonder, how does this work? Why are we here? How did we get here? How does this little, little notion of, of God play into this? Where, what is the purpose of this design? These are questions I hope we always will be asking and always will be getting a little glimpses of answers to and, and possibly opening up yet many more doors as to and new information and new things to explore. I think we're designed to ask that question about, about what, what, what's next. And we're also designed to say, I don't know, and to hunger for more. And if you can't do that, I feel sorry for you because you are truly limiting yourself. This is Brooklyn. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk with you next week.